Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Manfred Caroli, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and it is a blessing to be opening God's Word with you this morning. And as we continue going through the New Testament in our sermon series for this year, we'll be looking into a powerful story from the Gospel of Luke. And I can't say enough how fascinated and excited I am, especially because I was personally confronted, I was personally challenged by it. We also will be able to see how the theme of faith and the kingdom of God are deeply connected. We are still living both challenging and yet exciting times in our time. And there are many emotions uh, that we can choose to, describe, choose to describe 2020 and even this year. And fear could, fear could be one of those words to describe it. And I know some of you might agree with me. 
through various or different conversations that we had. This past season has touched many fibers in our society and has affected many people in various forms here in Oak Park, in our communities, but also around the world. And as Ida's dad it's also ex has exposed undealt realities in our society, in our own lives. Realities that we were blind to see, acknowledge, and recognize. And as a Christians, we're not exempt of those realities. In many ways, our foundations were tested, and when uncertainty knocked at the doors of the world, it also brought some unwanted relatives. Fear, dead, doubt, despair, desolation, lack of hope, confusion, isolation, division, sickness, and I keep going on. As we continue exploring the healing and the restoration of the world in our sermon series, we can see how fear and despair and all those unwanted relatives I mentioned before have been always present in the biblical narrative in challenging God's people. But we also see echoes of the foreshadowing of the arrival of the kingdom that will destroy and establish his kingdom and will rule with justice. Throughout the Gospels, we're introduced to that king and we're going to see glimpses of that kingdom in Luke's account today. And this concept of the kingdom of God is a powerful theme that was relevant for the original audience and it is relevant for us today. Why? Because we're still waiting for his return, for the second return then, and that everything that we see, that we experience, everything that was and is will be transformed, redeemed by the power of the message of the gospel and the establishment of our King Jesus and his kingdom here on earth as we walk into the new creation. So there is hope. But what is this connection that the kingdom has to do with faith? How does the kingdom look like? How is faith even relevant? What does it mean to have faith in our world today? Where do you see the relevance of faith in the kingdom of God in your own lives, in our own lives? And with that in mind, I, I want to be making a few observations out of the passage that I was read today. And I will be using some illustrations of my own, a few testimonies. So... Before we begin this morning, let me have a word of prayer for us. Father, we come before you, acknowledging, Lord, that you are loving, caring, that you're so powerful, that you can do more than what we can ask, think, or imagine. We just want to take a moment just to acknowledge that. Father, I ask that you will turn this love of bread into a feast, a meal. I pray that you will use the simplicity of my words and the message you have given me to minister this congregation, anyone that might be watching this morning, the service lacking hope, lacking faith. I ask for the spirit just to move in a powerful way. We're nothing. This can be just words, but if, if you're moving, Lord, oh, then think about the impossible can happen. I've seen it in my own life. So I just pray that these words will find good soil. I ask you that you will help me, my speech. I ask you that you will give me clarity of mind that my words will be properly communicated. Um, and this is for your glory. And your glory alone. Sea esto para tu gloria, Señor. 
Amen. And to be better situated, situated in the narrative today, I would like to skim through some of the themes that precede our passage today. That is chapters 1 to 7. And Luke is purposely painting and, and grouping uh, a logical set of events uh, so that as he writes at the beginning of his account, we might have certainty, assurance, faith concerning the things that we have been taught. He does that in chapter 1, verse 4. And throughout the seven chapters that precede our passage today, we see glimpses of that kingdom, of the kingdom of God, and his power introduced, pointing to Jesus as the central figure of this kingdom. He has the sovereignty, the authority as a king to overpower and set him free the captives over Satan's influence and control over their minds, bodies, soul, and their circumstances. And he can do so much more. As he, as he does that, he's also inaugurating and providing glimpses of this new creation. In chapter C, we can observe how he has instituted a new type of rest. He has called 12 new leaders, his disciples, to lead his people. And also has, has given them new governing precepts. He's calling people into a new creation. He's calling people into his kingdom. All the signs and wonders are signaling his kingdom and what this kingdom is going to be. We have a glimpse of that when Jesus addresses John's disciples in chapter 7, when he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the sign, the limb walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news of the kingdom preached to them. This kingdom is a place where his kingdom doesn't feed with the standards established by this world. It's an upside-down kingdom where the needs of the poor, the hungry are met, where the widow and the ones suffering and experiencing persecution are comforted and protected. We have a description of Jesus' manifesto in chapter 4, which provides us with a vision of what that kingdom is going to be. This is a kingdom where the Samaritan woman becomes a hero in the story and where women play such a crucial role. This kingdom doesn't follow political agendas and where color or socioeconomic status doesn't define or grinds a voice around the table. Through the eyes of the people, this is a kingdom for we're citizens and to be part and belong to, one has to believe and respond in faith. We enter the story with Jesus and his disciples returning from a lonely place where he heals a demon-possessed man and he asks by the community to leave the area so he returns to the other side. Once in Galilee, a crowd is waiting for him. And there he's not only expected, but he's also wanted. He's also wanted and welcome. Jesus enters into a very crowded situation. And just to give you an idea, this is kind of like a, he walks into a Galilee Palooza type of thing where the crowds are choking, pressing Jesus. Something interesting is that they were choking in this um, chapter and in the original. It appears twice in Luke. The first one described the thorns in the parallel of the sword in uh, chapter 8, 14. And the other one in our passage today, in what it seems to believe in, a living illustration of that parable. That's what we're seeing right here in these verses that were read to us this morning. We're witnessing here two consecutive miracles, two realities that are connected. And like the other miracles that precede our passage today, these two also point out to the person and the authority of Jesus and his kingdom. At the same time, there is a strong theme of faith and fear. And I want to suggest that both fear and faith go together. With this in mind, let's dive into a passage. And as I said, I will make in a few observations. And then uh, I will share in a few testimonies uh, during the application side. 
first observation that I want to make is that faith is not the absence of fear. In this verses, we're introduced to Jairus, a well-known and respected man in the community. He's also in charge of various services in the synagogue. Some commentators have suggested that this was a man with some sort of like influence or status in his community. But before he even expresses a word, he throws himself at Jesus' feet in desperation because his only, his 12-year-old daughter, it's about to die. This is not only a difficult situation. It is also a terrible place to be as a parent when someone that you deeply love is about to die. I can identify myself with Jairus in so many ways. Luke tells us that Jesus responds by heading immediately towards his house. As they're going there, the crowds keep on pressing on him what makes the journey to get to Jairus' house to become slow and difficult. Perhaps our lives can look like that when we are in grand need of a response and we need deliverance from the Lord or when we experience in tribulation, difficulties or fear, making it hard, hard to have faith and to believe, to have hope. And perseverance becomes a challenge. But there is more. Jesus' journey is abruptly interrupted when a woman who had a blood discharge for 12 years as many years as Jairus' daughter, comes behind Jesus, touches him, and gets healed immediately. This is a kind of like healing on the go situation. What it seems like an interruption for us when we read those verses becomes an opportunity for Jesus. Besides, he was used to these kind of situations, and he knew how to capitalize and turn them into a trampoline of opportunities in his ministry, in his ministry to this place display his power, authority, and love in an even greater way. This interruption and necessary pause becomes the fuel for what's coming next. It's also important to observe that as a physician, Luke wants the readers to know that this woman spent all her resources on doctors and that no one could heal her. This woman not only lost her financial resources, but she was also beyond cure. She was beyond healing. Also, he wants us to know that Jesus is dealing with two impossible situations um, to provide restoration or to provide healing according to the hum our human and limited standards. The first one is death, humanity's greatest enemy, and then a chronic and uncom uncomfortable condition that represents any physical and medical situation impossible to be treated like the, woman, like the one this woman experienced for 12 years but also that both Jairus and the woman represent two different spheres in her society. Jairus represents influence and a sense of belonging in a community, someone with a level of stability, a loving father, someone who cared. And this woman represented the opposite, someone who lost everything, seeking to be cured and restored. She was someone that, according to Leviticus, represented impurity, someone unclean, not her, but anyone who will be in close proximity to her also. <laughs> she has also been private and away from her community and fellowship. And Jesus becomes for the two of them their last and only chance to receive deliverance. Both needed faith in that situation so that the impossible would happen. As I mentioned before, Luke is painting, describing these events that precede this portion of the narrative in a logically slash sequentially slash 
chronologically way. Both situations in the text represent the perfect conditions for a miracle to be performed. Our actors seem to be in the right place at the right moment as if their lives were purposely synchronized and pushed towards that time in history. After touching the fringe of Jesus' garment, she gets immediately healed. And the procession to Jairus' house is interrupted when Jesus declares that someone has touched him because power has gone out of him. The miracle is incomplete. When Jesus asks, who touched me? He's not trying to find out who actually physically touched him. Rather, he wants to acknowledge the person who is imploring for something else, for something greater, and to be fully restored. She just don't know this yet. The miracle that she experiences is also crucial as it is the healing and the renewal of her soul. She was probably thinking, I don't need and I don't want to be noticed. I just need for him to heal me. This woman's timid fate is forced to come out of public. And what Jesus wants for her, what Jesus wants to do in that moment is just to capitalize and use that as a trampoline of opportunities. He's purposely pausing his journey and calling out the person who touched him in front of the entire community so that this person can receive the rest of the miracle, that she can be made well. She also has to be fully restored to the place that she belongs in her community that she won't be any longer excluded from entering the worship place, nor for participating in the life of her community. Jesus wants to bring her back. He is restoring her dignity, her place, and her social context in the way that they should have been. She needed to be healed physically. But there's another miracle that takes place. Her community also experiencing healing is experiencing healing. Why? Because they needed to be healed from a chronic condition in their hearts. That is their prejudice and their wrong perceptions, misconceptions about those that were in precarious situations in life, those that were and looked different, those that didn't meet the standards of acceptance in their society. They also need to be healed. Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom and to make all things new, or like our own Becky Corset said, the kingdom of God is the new normal, is the new normal. He's making visible the invisibles, restoring people's dignity as they get healed and also brings the light of the gospel to their lives so the transformation and the renewal can be completed. The gospel is crucial. And when the woman finally testified of her healing, her testimony becomes a living proof of God's power in the, in the presence of her entire community. But before Jesus dismisses her, he does three things. He calls her daughter. So she's no longer knowing the story as the woman with the blood discharge. He gives her a name. <laughs> and by doing this, he's letting her know that and everyone there that she no longer will be remembered for her condition or who she was, according to her society. <laughs> Instead of that, she gets rightfully placed as a member of the kingdom. Powerful. Jesus turns her timid faith into a stronger faith by pointing out that it was that timid faith 
or fearful faith in Jesus, in his person, and not in his garment that made her well. In verse 48, we read that Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. It was her faith in Jesus was, was the channel through which Jesus' power worked. And then Jesus sent her in peace, reassuring her that what he has given her, his shalom brought her wholeness, something that Paul reminds us in Romans 5.1 when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus has given her cannot be taken away from her. So faith is not the absence of fear. Number two, we never need more faith than what we need to have faith. <laughs> the procession to Jairus' house is about to resume when someone from the ruler's house brought news that his daughter died. Just like that. Your daughter is dead. And I cannot imagine what was going through Jairus' house. The journey has been long enough. He's been waiting, trusting at that point. And I don't know, maybe he was thinking, are you kidding me? Is this, are we late? And think about it. At the beginning of our story today, we have Jairus asking Jesus to come to heal his daughter, who is about to die. They start a very bumpy and slow procession right to his house. And that journey is abruptly interrupted. Jesus does an incredible healing and display of his power in the presence of the community. They're finally getting ready to resume the journey to Jairus' house when someone gets and throws a bucket of cold water over Jairus' head. And I'm, I'm going to say, I think it's important, like, as far as the messenger, I don't want to kill the messenger. But let's say that they should have sent someone else to deliver this news to Jairus. He's, he was probably the most sensitive person. But what it seems like an interruption that brought healing to the woman, woman, woman became the delay that stopped Jesus from healing Jesus's daughter, Jairus' daughter. It seems that it's too late. But is it late for Jesus? Is he ever late? Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore, is what we read in verse 49. What this inexperienced messenger wasn't taken into consideration with his declaration was that Jairus' daughter wasn't dead. A spoiler alert. She was sleeping. And the circumstances that are surrounding his situation are not permanent. And the second thing that he missed out is that Jesus is not merely a good man, a teacher. He's the incarnated old power son of God. Who's never trouble, never surprise, never late. Whose power is in condition by any circumstance in this world. But Jesus doesn't even bother to talk to the messenger. In response, he, he, Jesus addresses Jairus directly and tells him three things. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And what Jesus is telling Jairus here is that he can overcome his fear with courage. With the same courage and boldness that he showed at the beginning of that journey. The same courage that brought him to Jesus in the first place. In other words, everything he heard or claimed to know about Jesus was being tested in that moment. His entire belief system was being 
tested. And the only way to overcome that fear is to exercise his faith and put his trust in Jesus. I know what you're thinking, and I know what you're feeling. But do not succumb to fear. Do not let fear to control you. Don't give in, is what Jesus is telling Jairus. The circumstances and the facts are screaming out loud that his daughter is in a situation beyond reach, and that it's impossible for this story to have a happily ever after ending. Jesus is saying that everything is going to be well, that his daughter is going to be okay. She is going to be okay. Jairus needs to know that the current circumstances, or as a matter of fact, an impossible situation or circumstance doesn't determine or can overshadow in any way Jesus' power. He will do what he said he would do. And he's asking Jairus to focus on him and not on the news he just received for as bad as those are. Surrender your faith to me, not to despair and your circumstances. They finally get to Jairus' house. But Jesus enters into no party. The crowds are not longing for him or waiting for him. Jesus enters into this house, which has become a place full of grief, pain, despair, and sadness. Yeah, there is no hope. He enters into a tomb, and he drags Peter, John, and James into it because there is a lesson that they need to learn. And then there's a lesson for us to learn as well. Jesus asked the parents not to weep because he knows something that they don't. The girl is not dead. She is sleeping. Can you tell the difference? In response, they laugh at him. But rather than arguing with them, as he didn't argue with the messenger, Jesus simply takes her by the hand and tells the child to arise. It's time to wake up, just like that. His approach to death was like a father who puts his children in bed and wakes them up next morning by saying, hey, it's time to wake up. Breakfast is served. We have a picture here of a, the creative and living, giving power of Jesus and his authority over that. He's conquering and telling that what he's planning to do about it. And he's sending a message to let us know where all this is heading and what the new creation is going to look like. In the new creation, that won't have a place. Jesus is making a promise. He's making a statement. His power is so magnificent that he doesn't fight it. He doesn't have to. He simply commands it with a soft voice and breathes life into his creation, into his creatures. This is a recreation of Genesis 1. That is the beauty of the kingdom of God. Our passage ends with a re resurrected daughter. Parents amazed, speechless, and with a request that they shouldn't tell no one. And it's not clear why he asked this, but I can only suggest that he has no interest only to be known as the one who does the miracles. He wants to be known and experienced with the miracle or without it. Faith in Jesus and in the gospel of the kingdom of God means that 
The king has the absolute power to bring wholeness of life and restore all things. And that we as members of that kingdom are called to believe and wait with expectation that it will happen in the perfect time. It's going to happen in his time. But what does all this mean for us today? In the gospel of the kingdom of God, there is nothing beyond the reach and the power of Jesus. No matter your situation today. No matter what you're going through. Or how long you've been going through. Or what you've done. The gospel is enough for you this morning. Whether you consider having a strong faith or a timid faith, in both cases, you and I are compelled to trust with all our hearts in the power of Jesus. Whether we receive the miracle or not, he is enough. He is sufficient. The question is not if Jesus' power can heal us or grant us what we want or what we need or what we long for. Because he can do that all day long if he wants to. But I think the question we're facing is that if you and I are going to continue trusting him, and we're going to continue walking faithfully before him. Can we trust that the way maker, the promise keeper, the one that is light in the darkness, can bring us the healing and peace that we need here in this life or in the life to come? The Christian life, as you know, is not a life without suffering. But at the same time, as that is true, it's also true that we are called to rest in the fact that he has conquered the world. Faith is not the absence of fear and rather the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. It's what a scripture says. And I love a quote from Matt Chandler that says that faith doesn't mean an absence of fear. It means facing fear and trusting that God's goodness is greater our faith and trust in Jesus have the power to restore our lives and the lives of the ones around us and give glory to God. And our faith never goes unnoticed before God. And I want to share an illustration, as I said, uh, and I'm not as lucky as Pastor Jill that he can share a story about um, his children and perpetuate those stories, you know. Um, if I do that in my case right now, my children would suit me. And, and ask me to pay for illustration or testimonial rights. Um, so I'm going to share one of my stories, and, but they're not as excited as my, my children. Um, probably going to be boring, but here we go. Um, so uh, one, of my, one of the things that I do through the week when I'm here in, in the church in my office is that I just take different times and I pause and and, and through the window, you know, I will be either worshiping, um, lifting my hands, and, and just praying. And, and, you know, I, I pray for Oak Park. You know, I have a view towards Lake Street. So I try to picture Oak Park in the communities, in the world. I pray for the missionaries. But one day, a few weeks ago, and, and I was not scheduled to preach today. Um, so this is before I, I was going through this um, passage. This thought of, like, it is impossible for this to be restored crossed my mind, just like that. And I started to think about everything that has taken place. I started thinking about place like Oak Park. I started thinking about the communities. I started to think about the world. And I just realized that I wasn't having enough faith to believe that, you know, all this can happen, that we can actually see this world being restored. 
Um, so going through the passage today, I just found myself just confessing my unbelief and asking God to help me to have faith. And but the amazing thing with God is that he just does nothing. Leave us just dealing with situations in life. He, he normally would just comfort our hearts through scripture. Or, some, or he will send someone. He always send, sends people to my, my life. And um, uh, two weeks ago, um, uh, one of our church members came and, and she wanted to have lunch with a few of us and, and staff. And, and now she's the executive director um, at an organization here that provides care for uh, seniors, and, and, and she came and, you know, explained what your organization is about, and, but she said, I think that you guys can be part of it as a, this as a church, and as, as she was just saying that, I felt like I was saying, look, I, I am doing something, you know, I am doing something, you just need to see what I'm working, you just need to join me where I am, because, uh, yeah, I don't blame you, I mean, if you look at the circumstances, it looks impossible, but you need to see what I'm doing, and, and I'm going to continue bringing those to you, so this person, and thank you, by the way, you know who you are, just boosted my faith in a way, you know, and I love when the Lord does that. I was feeling like Jairus when the messenger came to deliver those news. In my case, the realities of this world were messaging, screaming, twittering that is impossible to see Oak Park and our surrounding communities, the world just to be transformed by the gospel. That is easier to give in into fear and accept what the world is saying, that it's impossible for this world to be healed and restored. That this world is just be beyond reach, beyond healing. And that is easy and also enough, attractive in some ways, to be concerned about the internal affairs of this church and that the current state of the things outside of our community can find their own solutions. It is easier to do, as it is, to do that as it is to run to the hills, hide and care for our own individual needs. It is easier. It seems to be the easy thing to do. But as much as fear and despair wanted me to give in, do my timid faith, so was the hope and the loud voice of the kingdom shadowing and echoing. <laughs> that he's not fixing or patching up this world. He's making it new. It doesn't look like that. I mean, through my eyes. It is not the way that I see things. It's the way that he sees things. He's just even making it better that we can actually see, think, or imagine. And in processing some of those thoughts, I was reading what the writer of Hebrews has to say in chapter 12. And, make, and he makes reference to a cloud of witness in, in reference to, you know, chapter 11. I'm pretty sure you read it. And when reading that verse, I could have stopped thinking about Calvary. I could have stopped thinking that here at Calvary, in our own community, we have a long list of witness, people that have persevered through difficult and painful, painful circumstances. People who chooses to trust God and put their faith in Jesus. And I could have stopped thinking about Cheryl Green, Carolyn Whitman, Reggie Winston, Abby and Tyler Jackson, Mark and Ruth Brucato, James Moore, Johans Bay, Johan Bays, Mark and Valerie Dodgson, Marshall and Anne-Marie Berkey. And I keep going on. And I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank you 
because the Lord has used you to boost my timid faith and to show me that the kingdom of God is here, now, that is near, that is coming. Hmm. In our lives, what it looks like an interruption for God becomes an opportunity to display in an even greater way his power, his love, his faithfulness and care for us. And that was 2020 and still 2021 in so many ways. It's an opportunity to examine where our hearts were or are and where our faith was or is. If you're watching this and you're going through a crisis of faith and all the pieces that were holding your life seem to be falling apart, you might be in the place that that God wants you to be at. The way that I see it is everything is part of a necessary change of events that rests under the sovereign person of God. And it's for us to turn to him. There is no place to run. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In closing, um, in this chapter, we see glimpses, highlights of what the kingdom of God is going to be. Is what we call the already, but not yet. We see here a preview, if you were, of that promise. Where our entire beings, bodies, minds, souls will be perfectly renewed along with all creation. In the establishment of the kingdom of God, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and dead shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will pass away. This is my second story. Um, uh, spring 2012, early spring 2012. And for days from now, nine years ago, we were in the Middle East. And I think you, you heard part of this story. I just got a, I can still see that bag of green coffee beans that I was on my way to roast and uh, just dropped my daughter. And I was going to the market. And if you've been in the Middle East, I've seen pictures, you know, um, those places got super crowded. Um, and as I was getting to uh, the roasting place, um, I got a call from the um, other city where we lived for years, uh, just letting me know that all security protocols have to be activated. Three days before that, um, a colleague was kidnapped by a terrorist group. And the phone call that I received was just to let me know that a good friend just a few minutes ago was just um, killed by the same terrorist group. And uh, I remember that everything was spinning around super fast. And I'm I'm pretty sure that maybe some of those coffee beans were popping or roasting the way that everything was spinning. And so, yes, activate all the things that we knew, you know, retrieve and, and go home, pick up my daughter, and then locked ourselves in and, and just to, you know, have the phone ready just in case. And I'm going to fast forward you guys to two weeks from that day. Um, we're getting ready to be evacuated from the country. Um, and uh, we are in the capital now. Um, we are about to be part of a crisis retreat um, just to debrief everything that happened. We took the things that we were able to take and um, 
A friend of mine, a Dutch friend of mine, I love Dutch people, super sweet guy. He was one of my teachers in the institute. He asked me to have coffee with me, and we were part of this very close group of friends in our community. And uh, so finally got to the place where he asked me to have coffee with him, and um, along in a conversation, you know, we just processed some of the things, you know. We're grieving, we're in shock. You know, it was a super traumatic experience. And um, he said, did you hear? I said, what? What did I hear? What happened at the hospital? I said, no, I didn't know. So after our friend was, the body was taken to the hospital, um, some of his teammates were asked to come and to identify the body. They finally made it to the hospital. This is what my Dutch friend is just describing to me. And he heard this from them because we were in different cities. cities. Um, and he said, um, well, yeah, so they went to the hospital, identified the body, but right away they asked just to be left alone with, with the body. And uh, so once the room was cleared and all the medical staff left the room, these three guys um, did something. Yeah, they did just challenges, you know. My thinking, and I think anyone's, and it might do the same for you, you know, uncover the body. The body was beyond, now it was not only dead, I mean, it was a dead body, but it was just beyond, you know, it was terrible what happened in the way that it happened. And uh, they just laid hands on the body. And with a lot of faith, they start praying for that body to, to be resurrected. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Once my thing that my friend's faith, or that they experienced defeated, they were defeated on that day. Let me tell you, they didn't. They didn't because they knew something that dead will be no more. They didn't receive the miracle that day, but one day, Our friend is going to hear the soft voice. Our friend is going to hear a voice saying, wake up. Table is ready. Food has been served. Let's go and feast. It, was, it is a promise. It's going to be a reality. That is our faith. That is our faith. The display of power and the healing of the woman and the resurrection of the child remind us this morning that Jesus' dominion has no end. He has power over the darkest forces operating in this world. And that the healing and restoration of this world are both a reality and a promise. We need faith to navigate both. We need faith. But before I pray this morning, let me ask you this. In whom are you trusting for your salvation? What are you seeing glimpses of the kingdom of God in your life? Your family, your marriages, your neighborhood, your school, your workplaces? How do you approach those that look, act, or seem different? Is it prejudice or love and grace what describe your approaches and responses? In what areas in your life are you lacking faith today? 
What is stopping you from trusting the Lord? What are the hindrances that are, that are asphyxiating or choking your faith today? Let's pray. Father, you are greater than what we can think or imagine. I've seen you doing amazing things. I have seen your power in action in ways that challenge my own understanding, my own theology. I believe you are the God of the impossible. And I long to see those things happening here too. I do. We need to hear your voice. And this morning I want to pray for those in our community here at Calvary or out there that are feeling hopeless and tired. I'm thinking about those with any, any chronic or mental health conditions, for those lacking faith, for those grieving the loss of a loved one. I pray for those experiencing a spiritual oppression, anxiety, the depression, even considering to take their own lives. Would you please display your power in their lives? Would you please bring healing and restoration today? Would you please do the impossible possible? I also present the marriages of those that are struggling right now and where divorce has become an option and an answer. I ask for those experiencing isolation, rejection, discrimination, and persecution. I pray for our church here at Calvary that, and for the global church I pray that we can see you with anticipation. That we can be healed against any prejudice or blindness, if any. We ask for perseverance, humility, unity in our time today. I ask that you will increase our faith to believe that you can do anything. Give us faith as we navigate the promise and the reality of the new creation. Would you please just move? Would you please breathe life? I ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus.